0: It's running. All right, so, uh, Revelation chapter 19, and this is uh, the opening section here coming up to the second coming. So by the end of chapter 19, we will have seen the Lord's return. Now, there are many other passages, especially in the New Testament and Old Testament, that filter into the lord's return i may get into a few of those but that's not what i'm here i'm not here to study overall prophecy and end times we're looking at what the book of revelation tells us and so revelations uh proclamation of jesus return is pretty straightforward he comes down he gets rid of his enemies and sets up his kingdom That's pretty much uh, how it works. So there's no uh, long complications with this group of people and those group. That does fit in with end-time prophecy. It fits in with whole end-time studies, and Bob Yandian has the best book on that, um, about the end times and the last days. So if you want that, need that, bym.com. And so uh, you can get that and... uh, Maybe he'll bring the books with him when he comes if you don't have one. But uh, those are the best studies for an overall view of end times. What we're looking at is what the book of Revelation tells us. So in chapters 17 and 18, uh, we saw the destruction of the kingdoms of the Antichrist, world religion system, which was the harlot of Babylon, and then the beast and the kings of the earth, they did away with the harlot and her religion so that all of religion, all worship went to the Antichrist. And so that was in chapter uh, 17. And then in chapter 18 uh, was the celebration of the fall of the empire of the Antichrist. His whole world system also called Babylon and so there Babylon is the system of world uh, dominance, world power, whereby he controlled all things and of course through study and other passages uh, he controlled those things through uh, the beast and the false prophet, uh, through uh, the image of the beast that was erected in places so that people had to bow down and worship the image of the beast um, how is that going to be done throughout the whole earth um, we don't know exactly but we've got the technology in this day to do it but that doesn't mean it couldn't have been done in the third century so you know whatever we're studying about the, Reve- the book of revelation don't don't get locked into it could only happen in this day. It could have happened at any time. That's what God taught his church. That's how he pre- presented it Though to all people. Not It wasn't presented as is someday this will happen. Not in your lifetime, but it's going to happen. So every age of the church is to live with that expectation. This could be it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I believe. This could be it. But if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I'm going to Him. Let the people who are left here let them figure it out. You know, they can they can work on their own part. But uh, I am pretty well convinced, looking at world situations, that His coming has to be soon, and that's supposed to be our prayer. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So that's to be our prayer. But that was also the prayer of the 2nd century, 5th century, 12th century, 15th century, every believers of every age. That was to be their prayer. Even so come, Lord Jesus. So we look at this section um, now in chapter 19. We saw in our last lesson, so if you weren't here for our last lesson, um, I called it Songs of Doom. Isn't that a wonderful title? Doesn't it just make you want to pull out the lesson and listen to it? Uh Uh-oh. Got to run and wake up. But um, the, uh, the songs of doom were the songs sung by all of those who stood and watched the burning and destruction of the world empire called Babylon. And they looked upon that and there was mourning and wailing and, and cries and torment and all those things as they watched this burn. The, the leaders of the nations, the kings, the, the government officials, the merchants, the seafarers, all of them weeping over the destruction of the empire, but no mourning over their sin no repentance in their hearts, only longing for that which was lost, the power of the Antichrist and his world system. So uh, that was significant uh, in chapter 18, especially the last part of it. Now in chapter 19, we change to a different set of songs. So I'm calling these songs of celebration, and that's what we see as we progress down through this section then in our lesson next week we're going to talk about the bride and the bridegroom and the wedding supper and uh, that which will be taking place uh, which is coming and then a future lesson we will talk about the Lord's return his triumphant return so let's read uh, Revelation chapter 19 I'm going to go down through verse 6 It says five up there, but it should say six. All right, uh, so we're going to read down through this section. Revelation 19, verse 1, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice, saying, Praise our God! All you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. All right, that's a a better section of Scripture than we've been looking at the last few weeks, right? Yeah, so this feels a little bit better um but notice this is a celebration over the destruction of the empires and all the powers of the antichrist that's what babylon is his system of world power then there was also the harlot of babylon and her religion but he did away with her uh, about the middle of the tribulation as so that all worship went to him he used this world religion to draw people and it was incredibly immoral perverse sexually deviant it was uh, idolatrous uh, arrogant abusive um, putting to death anyone who would not worship this system set up by the harlot of babylon but then in the middle of the tribulation because antichrist takes his place in the temple and the very holy of holies and makes that basically his throne then he demands that all worship be unto himself and so through the beast that is the antichrist and also through the ten kings they destroy the harlot of babylon and all of her religion and so they do that And then all of the religion, all of the worship has to go to Antichrist, who proclaims himself as God and taking his place there in the Holy of Holies, which is called the abomination of desolations. This is him totally um, desecrating the altar of God, right? And so that's what takes place, that happens at about the middle of the tribulation and then... From then on, it is his oppressive uh, rule over people, putting to death anyone who had any uh, difference with him. And his government, also using the feminine pronoun, uh, she put to death anyone who disagreed with his rule, any system, any group of people that rose up, persecuting as many as he could, putting to death believers who would not take the sign of the Antichrist and would not worship the beast. And so all of these being put to death. But one group of people he could not put to death, the 144,000, they were destined to live all the way through the tribulation. And so all the all of that, and they were secure so that the ones that began will be the ones that finish at the end of the seven-year period. You think, well, seven years? I can remember seven years back, Uh, but not seven years like they've just seen, where every day is one more judgment, one more tragedy, one more incredible calamity coming upon the earth, plus this oppressive government of the antichrist all of this orchestrated by god all of it to purge the earth of all of its evil to bring antichrist satan to his power where he thinks he is ruling and he's not and he's only doing what god is allowing him to do and he can do no more than what God allows for him to do. And so God here is telling the church, through John, at the end of the first century, this is going to happen. When? Whenever. (laughs) When it happens, that's when it's going to happen. And some of the things we won't understand until after they've happened, and we'll look back and say, oh, that was that. Yep, that's what that was. Now, again, as I've said, in all of this period, where is the church? Where are the believers? Secure with God. We are in heaven. The rapture has taken place. We've all been taken out before the beginning of the tribulation. And so all of this will be done on earth. I guess we will be spectators observing all these things, even as John observed them. Of course, with a lot more detail, John doesn't give us even just a small portion of the detail of what's going to happen on those seven years, but we will see all of that even as we stand there in the presence of the Lord. So now we look at this section and we see that the Lord's pretty much done with everything on the earth. There's very little to happen yet. We have to be in the last month, weeks, days of the tribulation as we enter chapter 19. And so, all of this the destruction of Babylon, the system, the destruction of the harlot, all of that brought to an end. And so, what does the church do? We watch. And wait what are we waiting for the Lord to call his bride to the celebration of the wedding supper and as soon as that is complete then comes his return bringing the Saints with him even as he comes into the earth lessons for coming weeks now Something that we we need to, again, keep in our minds, there are two comings of the Lord. The first advent and the second. The first advent was what? His birth, right? So the first advent of the Lord is his birth. And so that's called his first coming. And so we just celebrated what the church age is called advent, which is a celebration of the coming of the Lord. He came as a baby. Born of woman, lived, grew up, went through the temptations, went through all of the oppression and the torture, finally death on the cross, three days in a grave, a resurrection, and an ascension. That's the first coming. But then there's going to be a second coming. Jesus talked about it, the Old Testament talked about it, that they would come as a savior and as a king. They thought, oh, huh, same time. When he comes as a savior, he'll come as the king. But that has been separated by what? Well, 2,000 some years now, right? And it's still waiting. Still waiting. So there's a couple verses that I put down here uh, where we see that the the Lord's coming is not like it was the first time again the first time he came what as a babe in a manger hebrews 9 28 is uh, is a great passage of scripture in fact that whole section in hebrews chapter 9 is incredibly powerful but hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says so christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many when did that happen on the cross right Having been once offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a, say it with me, second time. Will appear a second time. First appearance, to die on a cross. Second appearance, for what? Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's going to save, fully rescue, and deliver all of those who have been waiting for him. Now, we get that in the rapture, which isn't really a coming of the Lord. It's an appearance of the Lord. And so in the rapture, he comes to the earth, not upon the earth. He just comes to the earth, collects his church, and takes the believers to heaven. But his second coming is when he actually comes to the earth and sets up his kingdom. But in doing so, he also brings incredible judgment upon the earth. And so this phrase, but to save those who are waiting for him, uh, is a reference really to the people who have lived through the tribulation. He's going to save them in his second coming. Doing what? Putting to death all those who have oppressed him destroying all the powers of the enemy destroying ultimately death itself satan and all of those now that also includes the time of the millennium but that's something we'll come to in a little bit then we turn over to matthew 26. so jesus is coming to save from destruction save from death Mm -hmm save, to bring completeness. He's coming to say, Matthew 26, the high priest Caiaphas and his party had gathered people to bring false witness against Jesus, uh, to say that he had declared himself to be the Son of God, that he had said he was going to destroy the temple and build his own um, all these different things that he they gathered people to say about Jesus. Many of them were false, but they gathered them together. So finally, in Matthew 26, verse 64, Caiaphas finally asked him, Are all these things true? And Jesus' response is, You have said so. In another gospel, Caiaphas actually asked him, Are you the son of God? Instead of Jesus saying yes, he said, You said it. (laughs) Or, yeah, you're right. You have said so. It came out of your mouth. It didn't just come out of my mouth, it came out of your mouth. I am the son of God. With that, Caiaphas tears his robe. But listen to what Jesus said. You have said so. But I tell you, Caiaphas all of those who have opposed me, all of those who deny the cross, all of those who deny that I am the Son of God, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. That's where he's at right now. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Seated at the right hand of power. That's where he's going to be. And what else? And coming on the clouds of heaven. Now he knew, as Caiaphas knew, because of references from the Old Testament, that's Jesus talking about the Messiah coming to the earth to set up his kingdom. Caiaphas knew that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. And this so angered him that he ripped the holy garments that God had given him to wear. In fact, they had the collar of their garments so sewn so that it couldn't be ripped, but he did, just like when Jesus died. The veil was ripped in two. So Caiaphas rips open his garment, uh, basically saying, I am no longer the priest, and thereby abdicating his position. Now, in chapter 19, we're going to see, uh, or in the coming chapters, actually, uh, we're going to see Jesus as the bridegroom. And uh, in our lesson next week, how he prepares his wedding and presents his bride, the church, at the wedding supper. So we'll see that. There's some other passages we'll look at to, uh, to talk about that because the section in Revelation is very brief. But uh, we'll, we'll take a look at the wedding and the bride. Pardon me, my throat gets dry. So, <clears throat> All right, so then we're also going to see him as the warrior king. So he goes from bridegroom to warrior in a verse. (laughs) It's that that quick. All right, done with that. Now, let's get on with this. The warrior king returning in his power to defeat his enemy. And all of those who are gathered, we'll talk a little bit about that when we come to that, how all the nations had gathered at a place called Armageddon in the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, They had gathered together uh, to oppose the Lord and his kingdom, and uh, the Lord returns in the midst of all of that. And then finally, finally, in chapter 20, we'll see him as the everlasting judge, as he finally, once he comes and he sets up his throne to judge. That's going to last a thousand years, where he sets up his throne in judgment upon the earth. Then at the end of that is what we call the great white throne judgment, and um, Jesus finally brings forth um, the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. All right, page two, celebrating the fall of Babylon. So the first song that we have here uh, is the song of of celebration over the destruction of Babylon. Babylon. And that's really in verses uh, 1 and 2, and then a little bit more in verse 3. All right, so we come to this section celebrating the fall of Babylon. Now, this is not celebrating the death of people. This is celebrating a system that is destroyed. Were there people in that system? Yes, of course there were. And they will be judged. But we're not celebrating their individual judgment we're celebrating the triumph of the lord over all of the kingdoms and all of the powers uh, those who have persecuted his people those who have rejected his word and his lordship so the section starts off with after this after what well after the city's been burned and all these people are standing there and mourning the burning of the city, and mourning their loss, and mourning all the stuff that's gone, and mourning the fact that they don't have any money anymore, and mourning the fact that they can't do commerce anymore, and, and mourning the fact that all the immorality of the the harlot and all of her religion is gone, and all those things. That's what they're mourning. They're not mourning their sin. They're not mourning their their own need for a savior. They're not mourning their condition. They're just mourning their loss. And so after all of this, John says, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Now where John is during this period of time, some commentators say he's still on the earth. Other commentators say he's in heaven. To me, I see him as being in heaven because he's actually seeing these things and he's seeing the throne and he's seeing those coming out from behind the throne Uh, but that's that's the way i see it and so after this he said a a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven now this loud voice again is not loud it's translated great Uh, the greek word is mega which isn't so much about size as it is significance It's not loud in the sense that it's overbearing. It's loud in the sense that it is so significant, attention-grabbing. It cannot be ignored. This voice is loud, demands attention, demands some kind of response. You can't ignore it. It's there. And so he hears this loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. And so John hears these voices. But who are they? The way I've studied it, the way I see it, these are all of the multitude, millions upon millions of angels. All of the host of heaven are the ones who are singing this first song. And I'll tell you Why? is because of the pronouns that are used here and the things that they are saying so he hears these ones and it says something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven the the phrase something like is interesting because he's he's saying it's not just that it's a loud sound it was music singing how many of you have you ever been to a performance of the Messiah? Yeah, and they get to, the, to that glorious hallelujah chorus and it thunders and it's supposed to. There's other parts of the Messiah that are very quiet, almost mournful, some so beautiful that, are, that bring tears to your eyes if you appreciate that kind of music. But this is so significant. You can't get past this. Something like, it wasn't just a loud sound, it was this incredible choir singing. What are they singing? They're singing about the destruction of Babylon. Now, this great multitude, may include the saints but not necessarily because the saints are later identified specifically and told to respond praise him all ye saints which is going to come up later and so this is this is another group singing that's why i believe that this is this incredible million upon million host of angels singing And the first word that they use is the word hallelujah. So the whole thing starts off with this loud shout, hallelujah. And the word hallelujah is a Greek transliteration. All they did is they took a Hebrew word and made a Greek word out of it. And the word in Old Testament, hallel, Yahweh, or Yah. And so the idea is praise. Hallel, boasting praise, raving praise, praise that just goes on and on and on. Praise to Yahweh. Now, they use the contracted name for God, Yah, which you'll find in many places. Praise to Yah, or in a sense, praise to Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord. Now, in your King James Bible, here's a little clue of Bible study for you. In your King James Bible, When you see Lord as a capital L and then small capitals, O-R-D, it's always the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Capital L and then small caps, O-R-D. If it's capital L and then small regular letters, it's Adonai, which is warrior. And so the idea of this word, again, is praise to Yahweh. Jehovah, the Lord, the great I Am, the one who appeared to Moses, the one who said, I have come down, I have heard, I have seen, I know what my people need, and I am here to deliver. And so throughout Scripture, this name Jehovah or Yahweh is consistently found in places where He's coming to deliver, he's coming to help, he's coming to defend, he's coming to defeat. Uh, So it's it's always a, a name associated with action. He's doing something. And consistently you find this throughout the Old Testament. And here we see it in this passage. This is not the Lord just sitting in heaven. He's been doing that and he's the Lord doing that. Right? You're still the king if all you're doing is sitting on your throne. You're still the king. But when the th- king gets off his throne to do something, yeah, that's a little bit different. And so this is what he's doing now. He has been preparing for this. They is, he's been giving uh, different times during Revelation chapter 4 through uh, Chapter 18, we've seen him saying things, doing things, but here specifically now, he's ready to welcome his bride and then come to the earth. And so this loud rejoicing, the word hallelujah is found many times in the Old Testament. Uh, Specifically, it's found throughout Psalm 103 through 106, Psalm 146 through 150. Uh, They all began and end with the word hallelujah. And, uh, and in Psalm 150, it occurs in almost every verse. And so this praise to Jehovah, praise to Jehovah, praise to Jehovah. And so the interesting thing is the verbs that are used with this are always in the present tense, meaning keep doing it. Don't just say it once. Say it. Sing it over and over proclaim it. Sing it so your ears hear it. Sing it so your heart feels it. Sing it till it's not just words coming out of your mouth, but it's an expression of what's on the inside of you. Sing it. And so what do they sing? Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. Well, that's really not all they say, uh, because there's a a Greek article in front of each one of those. The salvation and the glory and the power belong to our God. And so this is, this is a way of just making the word more powerful, more significant. Yes, salvation belongs to God, but the salvation, meaning there is none other. There, there is no other salvation. The salvation belongs to our God. Then what else? The glory. All the glory. The glory belongs to him, not to anything else. He's not just one that we glorify and then we glorify someone else. No, the glory belongs to him. So it's significant separating that out from any other thing that would be done. Glory is to give honor, to give place, to proclaim the worthiness of someone. Uh, Glory uh, is something that is recognized more than what is performed. God is glorious. His character is glorious. His person is glorious. Jesus said as he was getting ready to go to the cross, Father, restore unto me the glory I had with you before the world was. Meaning that before God created the earth... Jesus stepped out of that position, in a sense, surrendering his expression of deity, glory, surrendering the expression of his his deity so that he could come as a man and die on a cross for us. He never lost his deity, but he gave up the expressions of that, the glory of it. And so he was going to have that restored, and he did have it restored in his resurrection. And so all of that glory has now been to his. And what else belongs to him? The power. Not just power. Well, this guy's got power, and that guy's got power, and power to Jesus. No, the power belongs to our God. It's it's his. It's his alone. No one else. No other entity. No other position has this ruling power it belongs to him and so heaven is rejoicing specifically over these things salvation has come to god's people now but don't we have salvation now no. don't we mm-hmm. and so we have salvation in this era was there salvation in the old testament yeah, yeah by Hope. Ours is by faith. But you know what? Full salvation has come, not yet come. Because full salvation is when we have glorified bodies. When the absence of sin and oppression and everything that's evil and wicked is gone. Full salvation is yet to come. And full salvation is going to be proclaimed. And this is what God is bringing forth. And so all of these things uh, will bring forth God's ultimate triumph over everything. Uh, I put there, it's about the middle of your page, too, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 7 through 9, uh, the, kind of a parallel passage concerning this, the reality of God's salvation when it finally comes. Yes, we're saved but there's a salvation that's yet future. And that is the glorification of our body and the removal of everything that is evil and all of the powers of darkness all gone. So let's, let's look at that. Isaiah 25 verse 7 says, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. It's like some kind of of Evil net has been spread over God's people, and over God's people has been this this veil, this net, this covering uh, that has been over top of the people. And that covering is sin, the power of sin, and and even though they were God's people, that presence of sin is still there. And even though we are God's people. The presence of sin is still there, is it not? But there's going to be a day Amen. Thank you. when it won't. That will be gone. All of it gone. And so he says, his, this is what he's going to do. He's going to swallow up all of these things. On this mountain refers to Zion. Verse 8, Isaiah 25, verse 8 says, He will swallow up death forever. The Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Boy, that's a phrase I like. And put that on the t-shirt. The Lord has spoken. Of course, you'll probably get thrown out. But Verse 9, it will be said on that day. I love this. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. Oh, man. Can you just wait for that? Isn't that just the exaltation of the Lamb finally seeing all of Him and all of His glory and all of His power and all of His majesty? This is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. That's full salvation. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Man, that day's going to fully come. And we will all be able to stand together with all of this. Let's go to page 3. The next thing they say is true and just are his judgments. True and just... Are his judgments? This is a this is a theme that's been spoken throughout the Bible. This this phrase that God's judgments are true, his judgments are righteous uh, altogether. His his decisions are perfect in all their way. Revelation sixteen seven, uh, when they were pouring out the judgment of, of the third bowl says. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. And so even the saints in heaven watching as the bowl of God's judgment was being poured out upon the waters of the earth. That's what happened in the third judgment bowl. And when God poured out the judgment, it was upon all the waters. And the saints in heaven said, God, your judgments are just and true. We look at that and we think, how horrible, how tragic, how, that's, that's, that's sad. All the fish are going to die, all the creatures of the earth are going to die, the people are going to perish, that's, that's sad. No, true and just are his judgments. What he's doing is right. True. Absolutely right. No question, no consequence, no argument. What he says is true. And so the idea of it being true, uh, the Greek word uh genuine. God's judgments are not reactionary. They're not precocious. They're true. It doesn't just, oh, you hurt me. I'm going to hurt you back. No, God has been waiting Withholding his judgment for millennia. Waiting for people to repent. God isn't just sitting up there ready to pour out his judgment. He's been waiting. He's been patient. Long-suffering is the word that's used. But there's an end of that. And this is it. This is it. We've reached the end. His judgments are true what he's doing is right and not only are they true they are righteous just the Greek word just or righteous is the same word Uh, dikaios fully the, the word means fully in balance with what is true God's judgments are righteous fully in balance the word dikaios has to do with with balance And so the idea of of it being righteous, it's, it's a righteous judgment, it's true, it's genuine. There's no pretense, no hypocrisy, no prejudice. All could come from every tongue, every nation, every language, every tribe, every people upon the earth. The invitation was open. But when you reject it, ultimately there will be a price. And what he does is righteous. Now, for us on the earth, it's hard for us to see and talk about God judging mankind and sending people to eternal damnation. That's hard for us to consider. But notice here, we are in heaven. We have been raptured. Our minds have been fully restored to God's purpose and plan. There is no rebellion. There's no question. There's no uh, issues in our hearts. And we will look at this and say that's true and it's righteous. Whereas people could look at it today. You could read this to people and they'd say... Well, that's, that's bad. How can God be that way? When we get to heaven, we're going to say, that's righteous. Because God has given man the opportunity. Everyone has had the opportunity. And when he brings forth his judgment, it will be righteous. And so these things are what God will do Look at verse 2, near the top of your page. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Two things. He has judged and he has avenged. He has judged. This evil religion, this evil oppression that brought people in with temptation and with lust, and drew people in by the passions of their own flesh, made a religion so that people could not resist within their natural man, could not resist giving themselves into this religion, giving themselves over to this harlot of Babylon, as she was called, and her world religion. But then all of those that she had captured then were taken over by the Antichrist, And they were his slaves, imprinted with the sign of the beast, given themselves over to his power and his his dominance, so much so that when Babylon and his world system is burning, all they can do is mourn the loss of what they had. I liked my sin, but God destroyed it. I liked this, this thing that I was able to do, all this power that I had, all the money that I was able to gather. I liked all of that. It's gone. It's gone. The sign on the back of a truck I saw one time said, he who dies with the most toys, dies. Dies. <laughs> You can have all the toys you want. You can have all the money you want. You can all have all the sexual perversion and all of the possessions of this world, all the power, all the acclaim, all the fame. You can have all that you want, but it's going to die. And unless you mourn your sin and open your heart to receive a Messiah, one who died for your sin, then you will be judged. And that judge will be true so when he judges the great prostitute that judgment comes upon all of those who worshipped her who fell upon part of her work then what is the second thing he has avenged this is one of the few places in scripture that talks about God avenging now we all know the verse that tells us that vengeance belongs to the Lord well here it is He's withheld it, but God's vengeance is, again, true, and it's righteous, it's just. And so he is going to, the word avenge means to execute justice, to carry out the sentence against a wrong, to carry out the sentence. He's going to do that. Now, the beautiful thing is, when you give yourself over to the Lord... That sentence is removed. It's gone. All of your sin is removed. Gone from you. You are forgiven and made righteous. What a beautiful thing. And so God will do all of that for those who openly accept him as Savior. But if you want to hold on to it, he will avenge it. You rejected him, you will be rejected. And this is a rejection that is eternal. Eternal. And so all of this finally comes. And notice that it says he will avenge what? The blood of his servants. These are the martyrs of the tribulation. Not all the the saints, not all the believers who come to know the Lord during the tribulation will die. Many will live through. Again, 144,000, but so will many others. But multitudes of them will die. And these are the martyrs, the blood of his servants, and God will avenge it. He's not just passed it over. I know earlier in chapter 6, they cried out from the altar, How long, O Lord, will you wait to avenge our blood? here the waiting is over God is done then comes the celebration of Babylon's eternal destruction and again this choir sings and their second song is very short but it's eternal listen to their second song Revelation 19 verse 3 and again they said hallelujah and her smoke, that is the smoke of Babylon, the smoke of the destruction of this empire, her smoke rose up forever and ever. Now let me ask you, how long is forever and ever? Forever and ever. means never ending. It will never end. This is a multiplication of a Greek word that in, in normal Greek thinking never could happen. To the to the normal Greek mind, there was no such thing as forever and ever, something that would never ever come to an end. That that was not within their realm of being able to uh, to grasp mentally. But the Bible uses it time and again. It's used to describe eternal hell. <clears throat> but notice what it says here. It is the smoke of her destruction. It means the evidence is going to go up. The evidence of her burning, the evidence of those things. It's never going to stop. Through all eternity, we will be living in a glorious new heaven and new earth. Meanwhile, as we're enjoying that eternity with God... Meanwhile, the smoke of Babylon will continue to rise Not in forever and ever. It's pretty amazing. The Bible talks about it being outside the walls. Good. So, but this is, what this is, is our, our eternal position with God is, you, is described in the same words. So, if our position with God is forever and ever and ever and ever and never-ending, their destruction is what forever and ever and ever and never-ending. Same thing. We can read this. Uh, we've we've looked at this before, but in Revelation chapter fourteen, Revelation chapter fourteen and verse eleven, speaking of those who worship the beast who fell down and worshiped the image of the beast, and took the sign of the beast. It says concerning all of them, uh, verse 11 says, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Their destruction, their suffering goes on forever and ever. So, this is something that is, is hard. Uh, even many evangelicals have a hard time with eternal hell. They've relegated it to a period of time. People will suffer. They'll pay for their sins and then they'll be released. No, that's you paying for your sin. That's all that is. Well, how does that work? I can't pay for my sin in this life, but I can pay for it in the future? No. No, once I die, it's appointed a man once to die and what? And the judgment. There is, there is no opportunity afterwards to work out my salvation. No, you can't. You couldn't now. And you won't then. Their destruction will be eternal. That's kind of overwhelming. Psalm 104 Now, I'm not suggesting we put this, you know, in our list of worship songs. But this is part of a worship song. Psalm 104 starts off with the word hallelujah, ends with the word hallelujah. But verse 33 says, 35, yeah, 35 says, Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. All right. Please do not write a song on that verse. Okay. Yeah, the, infidel's daughter. the Infidel's Daughter. Yeah, that was a song that was in a hymnal that we saw one time. Oh my. I, I have no idea how weird you could sing that song in a church. So. Phyllis, do you know that song? Did, you, did your church ever sing that, "The Infidel's Daughter"? It was kind of an assembly of God thing. Were you? Yeah, yeah. It was. It's not a not a happy song. All right, but anyway. Then comes the response of the elders. I gotta gotta hurry on here. The bottom of verse three. The response of the elders and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God. So these are these these. Incredible beings that are in heaven. Cherubim, they're strange creatures altogether. four faces. The body kind of like a lion and yet like a man and incredibly scary, right? Overwhelming, awesome. And these beasts who stand there as guarding the throne, the living creatures and the 24 elders that's representation of all the church the 24 elders are representing the believers in heaven so all the believers who are in heaven all those who were taken to heaven by the rapture all of those the elders and the living creatures fall down and worshiped god at the sound of all these songs who is seated on his throne saying amen so be it hallelujah Her smoke goes up forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, I know, that is so strange for us to think that we could sing those songs. But here's the truth. We will. Just as much as every other part of the book of Revelation will be done, so will this. And all the saints in heaven and the living creatures are going to give an amen response to this song of the angels concerning her smoke that will rise up forever and ever. I know. Strange yet true. And so this worship that is coming from the throne uh, includes all of this. So the idea of, of this song is caught up in so many other passages in the book of Revelation. Um, I've got other references there, um, these songs of praise, um, these outbursts of praise that the, the people respond when the angel sings, or actually sometimes the song comes from the throne itself. And so these places, uh, the, they're listed there on the top of your page four, Uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. So here are these songs declaring, proclaiming the greatness of God, His power, His wonder, His character, the very person that He is, and His dominance over all things that are upon the earth, over all evil and over all wickedness. And the saints are there proclaiming praise and worship to him. All right? So I'm going to stop with the top here of this page, and we'll take up this next section next week. And then we'll talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb as that comes up in the next part of these songs. But in all of this, what I really want us to see is this glorious, reality that heaven is different than here. Yeah, thank God. But so is, so is our thinking process going to be different in heaven. And just as God's judgments are true and righteous, our thinking will be true and righteous. We will have been re- remade in the very image We will know as we are known. Here we see through a mirror darkly. There we will see face to face. And so there will be a glorious difference in the way we think and the way we process what we're seeing. Right now, there would be a lot of empathy, compassion, as we would see people suffering. And we should. We shouldn't be able to look up at people on this earth and see them suffering. Even... Wicked people, we shouldn't rejoice in their suffering. But when we get to heaven, and all of this comes down to the end, these judgments that are falling, we are going to say they're true, they're just, they're righteous, they're right. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the way it is. All right, Father, we thank you. That you've given us inspiration, Father, from your word. You are a God who reigns. And ultimately, you will bring about all these things. We believe, Father, in our lifetime. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The cry of our hearts. We're ready. We're ready to see you. We're ready to see you dominate And rule over all the things that are on this earth. So much wickedness. Father you're going to set it right. And we believe it sooner. More than later. Father we thank you. For inspiring our hearts. That we. Will reach out to others who have not heard. Who have not believed. To help them come to. Salvation. Salvation through your name, and we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.